Yes, so to, to jump on the, uh, the back of Brett's story during the offering, so the guy who was at home watching online last week during the baptism service, Spirit said, get in the car, go. So he races up here and he walks in probably 20 minutes after the service and much of it had cleared out and we'd covered up the baptistry. And so I go, wait, he's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm from Tulsa. His mom was my piano teacher when I was 10 years old, 29 years ago. And I go, Daniel, he's Daniel. And I said, how's your mom? How's your dad? Like, like I remember, I can like viscerally put myself in her living room, plunking out, you know. So anyway, just the kingdom stories coming together is just too beautiful. So praise God for the way he's building the kingdom tonight. Yes, yes, there you go. Very good. Um, on Tuesday, I'm releasing a new book. And so I will tell you, I will tell you that I have a whole lot of reservation even telling you that up here because I'm very, like sincerely, I, I would never want to use a platform to twist arms or manipulate or gain advantage, but I think in the same breath it would be dishonest of me not to tell you what God's been stirring in my heart and it's been birthed from this congregation. So at the end of the service, I'll be, I'll be out there. We can talk if you wanna look at, anyway, books. Um, so tonight, I'm gonna do a one-week kind of standalone talk on this book called The Power of Place, Choosing Stability in a Rootless Age. So what I'll do is I'll read this text out of the beginning of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter one. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. I'll read this text, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord, written by the hand of Moses or the school of Moses. It said, then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Can you see the the earthy language here and the animals and the creation? You see place, right? So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, He created them. And then God did what he does. He blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then Genesis 2.15, it says this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the what? Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, have your way. We just keep showing up week after week saying we need you. Because you bless us and you send us out, but somewhere midweek we start leaking. We, we are drained. We are, we're zapped of our strength. The, the, the spirit that you filled us with, we start... We just, we're tempted to run away from you. We're tempted to lash out in anger. We're, temp- we're here on Friday night and we say we need you. We need you to fill us. We need you to refresh us. We need you to speak to us tonight. And Lord, I pray that these words would race through this place, not by my power, not by my might, but by the spirit of the Lord. And I pray, Lord, that I would decrease 
and that you would increase. And so, Lord, may the words of our mouths tonight and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. amen. The first 500 years of church history was a big theological debate. If we can summarize and crunch down, we got 2,000 years since Jesus Christ was raised. And we've had four 500 year chunks to work stuff out. The first 500 years, again, sort of summarizing here, we had all these church councils and what, is the, what does it mean to say Jesus Christ is Lord? And there were heresies racing through the ancient uh, Near East and through, the, uh, through Asia Minor and through Rome and through the Far East and, and they were working all that out. The Nicene Creed, we believe in one God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. Working it out, right? What does it mean to say Jesus Christ is Lord? And they got those issues ironed out. And at year 500, the focus began to shift just a little bit. And in Italy, a man arose named Benedict. And St. Benedict started calling monks and ministers and believers, Christians of all stripes, to take vows. We, we would know that he would have asked them to take the vow of obedience to Scripture, like the Bible is our book. Hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Yes, of course. Vow of stability, or vow of chastity with our sexuality. Yes, absolutely. Like, let's, let's try to live clean. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. Honor God with your body. Vow of charity with their money that you're not just circling up the wagons and living for your own good. No, you're living within the body of Christ. As Brett said earlier, we are for one another. So live with open hands and with open hearts and open pocketbooks. Take care of each other. But what most believers don't know is that the very first vow that St. Benedict called believers to take is the vow of stability in place. Try to die where you are. Like, find your people, find your place, and put down roots, and don't bounce around the globe. And actually, Benedict was saying this because there was this group called the Gyrovagues. Isn't that fun? That's a fun word, gyro. Around, vagus, like vagrant, on the move. They were just bouncing around on the move. They were spiritual couch surfers. They were going from place to place, conference to conference, looking for the next ecstatic hit of the Spirit of God. And, oh, there's something in Carthage. And, oh, there's something in Rome. And, oh, let's go to Jerusalem. And every three or four years, they're relocating. And you look up after 20 years of living like that, and you don't have a whole lot to show for it. And so he said to them, if you're going to follow Jesus, great. He was Jesus of Nazareth. Like salvation came into a place and operated in that region. God didn't sprinkle fairy dust from the ether and, and speak blessing, you know, and kind of wave the magic wand. No, Jesus Christ is Lord and Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary into Bethlehem and Judea and he grew up in Nazareth and he walked those streets with those people and he was a part of a family, like the vow of stability, and he says, let's reclaim the vow of stability. Let's put down our roots in place. Why the vow of stability? I, I'll say a few things tonight. Three things that I want to put in front of you to provoke your imagination for why the vow of stability matters. One, through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. 
These commands, when we think of God's commandments, typically we think of God's commands as God is mean and he's got a furrowed brow and he's up in the heavens trying to make us miserable. Thou shalt not. You know, like God is mad and God's trying to, you know, constrain us and God is the, just, he's just this crotchety old deity in the sky who's not happy about anything. So I gotta try to put these constraints and block their way and keep them from joy. Anytime God gives a command in scripture, it is for our good. Like read through the 10 commandments and tell me which one of those, if you obeyed all 10 of them, which one would be bad for you to obey? Oh, honor the Sabbath. God's just really trying to get on my back. Like, he's saying, take a break. Like, have a decent life. When was the last time you slept in on a Saturday morning? Like, it's okay. You don't have to work. You're not valuable for what you produce. Go ahead and rest today. That's for our good. The commands of God are a gift. The vow of stability, I want to suggest to you, is a gift that God is trying to give us. Notice that... The first gift that God gives humankind in scriptures is the gift of place. Adam and Eve, here is your garden. This is your place. Enjoy it. Take dominion. Be fruitful and multiply. What do you want to name the animals? It's yours. Have a blast. Like, stay away from this thing because it'll kill you. But really, it's broad lanes. Go for it. God gives them the gift of place. And notice that the first curse in scripture... After the fall is the curse of placelessness, being driven out of the Garden of Eden, kicked out into the wilds, exiled. Sin actually, sin fragments us and sin breaks us apart. And when when we start taking the story into our own hands, we think it's going to be good for us, but we actually find ourselves wandering out into place. We, We lose what was intended for us. So to understand that the first gift God gives is the gift of place and the first curse is the curse of placelessness. But what does the gift of place do for us? How does place mark us and and bless us? I'll put three simple ideas in front of you tonight. Place gives us security. Long before Abraham Maslow in 1943 constructed his little triangle of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What do you need to have a, a good life and a wholesome life and to start well? Long before he, he put that together, anthropologists and sociologists and theologians and philosophers have been saying from, from before all time, like a uh, place is important in the great quest of becoming human. Like place matters. We, we aren't people that live in abstraction. We're people who are Raised in a place, place gives us security. Think about the protection that you find, that you got your people around, you've got your stable routines, you kind of know what, what's good and how the world works. And a little child being born into a family that's got a, a safe roof over their head, that child has got the food they need and the security they need, and, and they can begin to develop psychologically and settle in and receive the gift of security in place, gift, uh, the gift of place gives us security. The gift of place gives us identity. The second thing, identity. Think about Peyton and Eli Manning growing up in Archie Manning's house. Archie was in the NFL 13 years, and those boys just thought every little boy had a dad playing in the NFL. And they're out there on the fields, and they're in the locker rooms, and they're hamming it up with the other players, and, and, and that 
that place that they were raised in, that environment that they were raised in, nurtured in them an identity. Think about Steph and Seth Curry. Their dad, Dell, played 16 years in the NBA, and they just, they've never known any different. Think about Bill Gates growing up in tech-savvy Seattle and having access to the first kind of mainframe to build something beautiful. And he, like, place shaped his outcome and his, his direction. Think about Malala Yousafzai, the first and I think the youngest Nobel laureate winner from Pakistan. In a place that says women are property and women can't get educations and women can't go outside and they can't drive cars and you've got to keep yourself covered up. Like you can't do this. And Malala, in that context of place, it shaped an identity in her that said no. No, like we are made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And the Lord rebuke you for your madness. That girl rose up from that place. She wasn't raised in an abstraction. She was raised in a particular setting that drew an identity out of her. And place, when it's working at its best, it gives us security, yes, but it also nurtures in us an identity. The third thing that place does is that gives us the chance to exercise mastery. This take dominion, Genesis chapter one, like take dominion, rule over the fish of the sea, like the earth is yours, go for it. Ellen Davis, a great Old Testament scholar, she's 74, I interviewed her last year. She's this brilliant mind, been parsing the Hebrew text for 40 plus years and one of the great minds on the planet. She's about this tall and this genteel woman. And and she translates uh, take dominion, that ancient text as exercise skilled mastery. Learn how to step into God's world and practice your craft and, and understand who you are and understand what the world needs from you and understand what God put in you, your unique mark that you can bless the world with and then take that thing and exercise skilled mastery. Think about David out in the shepherd's field keeping watch over his father's flock. David, the, the great king of Israel. He started out as this Young buck, he was the eighth son that wasn't even worthy to call into the house when the prophet came through to anoint the next king of Israel. Jesse had seven sons in the house and David's with the sheep. Ah, let's not waste our time with David. But David's out there with, with the flock and he's got this slingshot and a lion comes on the property trying to take what, the heck you're gonna take my dad's and he strikes that thing down. And then a bear comes on the property, the heck you're gonna take my dad and he strikes the bear down. And so that when he's standing in front of Goliath, a lot of times we read the Bible as some sort of superstitious document like God did a miracle. No, David was good with the slingshot. You're gonna come at me, Goliath? I don't care who the heck you are. I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear and I can do this junk in my sleep. You wanna go? And he steps up there and he, and you know the rest of the story. Exercise skilled mastery. The place that he grew up gave him an identity and it gave him an opportunity to practice the craft that God was going to use, not just for the sheep. Yes, praise God for that. But I've got something more for you, David. Friends, place when it's working at its best provides security, it gives us an identity, and it gives us the chance to practice mastery. Why the vow of stability? The second thing I wanna say to you tonight, first, place is a gift, but the second thing is through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. I'm a great Christian by myself. I'm by myself when, when my kids aren't, Loud, I'm a great Christian. 
when my wife doesn't have anything for me to do, I'm a great Christian. When, when my schedule's empty and I just lay around in my sweats all day, you know, I'm a great Christian. When I don't have to interact with people, I'm a great Christian. When I'm not driving behind someone in the left lane on the highway that's going 40 miles an hour, I'm a great Christian. But you get made holy through interaction with people that threaten to make you unholy. And place, I'll just say it tonight, place, if we will submit to it, God will make us holy through our places. God will purify us as we interact with, with one another. And, and frankly, I'll just say, there's, there's two things threatening this. One, we live in an age of wanderlust. You ever notice this? Oh, I'm just gonna... And I'm gonna say some cities, okay? And all of these cities are beautiful and if you live there or if you're moving there next week, that's fine. I'm just making up some examples, okay? So I'm not picking, I'm not picking any fights here, but have you ever heard this? I'm just gonna run on down to Austin and just see what the scene is like down there because I've heard they've got food trucks in Austin and the weather is like really exceptional year round. You can just do about anything. They've got some paddle boarding out on the lakes just adjacent to the city and you can be there in like 10 minutes and, and houses are gonna cost you know X amount of dollars more and apartments $4,500 but Austin has just got the scene and we don't really have the food truck thing and I just, I'm feeling the vibes and I'm feeling the pull and the energy and the positive thing that's, I'm just feeling this tug. Austin's calling and I must go, right? And then we go down to Austin and we kind of, we don't really know anyone there and it's disorienting for the first 18 months. And because it's not working immediately, we start to think something's wrong with Austin when really it's just, it's a new place and it takes time to become old friends. So I'm gonna run out to LA for just a minute and just kind of see, because the scene out there, and I kind of always wanted to be an actor. I was in a high school play once. And, and I, you know, I just, you know, LA is just this kind of rugged West you know, the, there's gonna be a fresh gold rush and I'm gonna be a part of it out there and like, I'm the golden, LA's gonna mine it out of me. And well, LA just, after three years, it's not really working. So I'm gonna run out to NYC and then I'm gonna hop over to, you know, Charleston. Charleston's just popping down there in the South and there's this new renewal. Down. And you look up after 15 years and you wonder why it, life just doesn't seem to be taking anywhere. My roots can't, well, yeah. That's what happens through, through, through the, we, we just want to bounce around. We, we think the grass is greener on the other side. That's one thing that keeps us moving and keeps us from becoming holy with these same people in this place. So the second thing is we have become pathologically conflict avoidant. When it gets hard, it feels like it's easier to leave. Because the thought of me going to a coffee shop and telling you what actually is bothering me about your existence with my life and the things that you do that bother me and the things that you say that bother me and your idiosyncrasies and your habits and your quirks. And, and, and by the way, we're acting as if we don't have any idiosyncrasies and habits and quirks that grate against other people. And so when life gets difficult, very often the easiest thing to do in the short term is to just run because we don't wanna say the hard thing. But I'll tell you, every time I have taken the chance and I've said the hard thing, it has paid off. Yeah. Now I'm saying you have to say it in the spirit of Jesus Christ. 
Not in the spirit of the world or not fighting back or not accusing or what you always, that, that's gonna be a problem. But when I pray through, in, in every hard conversation I have, I try to be prayerful going in so that when I show up, my heart is tuned right. And I'll come and say, you know, I, I know I, I'm, I'm not perfect and I know I do things. Can I just tell you one thing that I think we, we should work on together in our relationship? When you do this, dot, 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 this is how it makes me feel, dot, dot, dot. But, but I, I present that to you humbly and, and, and I know I've got my stuff that I need to work on, so please talk back to me about that. Every time I take that chance, the spirit of the Lord Jesus comes and hearts that were on the verge of being hardened get softened up and we find ourselves coming back together. We are, we are pathologically conflict avoidant. And so the easier thing to do seems to be to be keyboard warriors sitting behind our computers and posting sarcastic memes and, and taking pot shots at people. See, it's not that we're not going to go after people. It's just we're going to go after people in a way that's actually not going to do anything. So Facebook rants and political diatribes and we think we're taking a stand and we think we're changing the world but we're sitting in our echo chambers of animosity and nothing's happening. But if you would go and sit and say, hey, actually, can I look you in the eyes? What, what's your favorite drink? I'd love to buy you a coffee. Hey, in the spirit of growing together, in the spirit of being more like Jesus, can we have a quick chat? And when we do this, the kingdom of God comes and the will of God gets done and we become holy. And I'll just say to you tonight that if you wanna become holy, remember that people are the great purifiers. People are the great purifiers as iron sharpens iron. That's not precious. That's not a precious moment, nice little, you know, Thing you can put up on the fridge. As iron sharpens iron, that's a clash. That's a battle. That's going back and forth. And, but you know, if you'll do that in the spirit of Jesus Christ, you'll look up and you will have been purified through the process. If you want to become holy, people are the great purifiers. Lisa and I know what it's like to want to run. When we were young here at New Life, if you've been around any length of time, you know that there are just some crazy stories. We came here and the bottom fell out and then we had violence on our campus and people were scared to come to church. And it was just in 13 months, our world here that we came into, we moved from Tulsa, Oklahoma, 12 days after we got married. And when we came, we were riding high. And 24 months later, everything had fallen apart at this church. And we were scared and we were confused and our phones started ringing. Hey, baby, why don't you come back home? We got a job for you in Tulsa. This person, oh, bless your heart, and we've got a job for you out here. And, and all of those options would have been easier, but we felt in that moment this sort of holy defiance. The Lord's like, dig your heels in, and if you will stay, I'll make you holy in this place. Friends, when the moment of difficulty comes, the easiest thing to do is to think you can find another place and find an easier life. But if you will submit to the vow of stability, God will give you a gift and God will make you holy and he will make you holy through your encounter with other people. That's the second thing that I want you to hear tonight. But the third thing about the vow of stability is through the vow of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. Brett said this earlier, but God will use us to refamily the world. And I'll just say that family can be an incredible gift. Praise God for every beautiful moment, for every wonderful memory, for every sweet meal, 
for every great holiday gathering, period. Family can be a great gift. And every single one of us in this room knows that family can be absolutely complex and, and deeply difficult. Some of the greatest heartbreak, you know, people, people on the periphery of my life, you know, they can say something that frustrates me or that hurts me temporarily, but they can't really hurt me big time. You know who can hurt you? The people who can get right up against you and give you the body shot. The people closest to you. And, and, and all of us know that family, there can be such deep heartache and, and heartbrokenness and sadness. And, 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 and Jesus comes and what does he do? He starts collecting this ragtag group of people from every nation and tribe and tongue and people group. And he's got tax collectors and he's got religious zealots. These two people don't come together in the same room, let alone the same family. And Jesus takes them as one of his 12. Oh, tax collector, brilliant, you're hired. Religious zealot, great, you're hired. Oh, fisherman, great, you're hired. Oh, and what Jesus is doing is he's beginning to refamily the world with all these random hodgepodge ragtag group of people and Jesus is putting the world back together. And the, and the psalmist in Psalm 68 said this, that God is a father to the fatherless and he's a defender of widows. This is who God is in his holy dwelling. And God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. You see, the church is the new family of Jesus on planet Earth. The family that transcends biological bloodline and is now marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. We become the family of Jesus as we say yes. And, and I've watched my whole life the church do what only the church can do. As, as nuclear families have difficulty or, or there's loss and a funeral that you never expected to happen or a heartbreaking divorce that you never dreamed would ever happen or children that run away and parents are staying home aching for their prodigals to come back and their own little family story is complex and it's difficult and it's fraught with fear and anxiety but the new family of Jesus begins to take people in and rises above and functions in a way that only it can and I am here to say to you tonight if you will give yourself over to the vow of stability and, and plant your roots and be a part of the body of Christ you will look up and you will find a family that you never knew was possible my whole life I've seen the church do this. People stepping up and, and stepping in and taking care of our family in seasons where we were on the brink. And then God gets us back into strength. And then people who are on the brink, he sends them to us. And with our strength, we leverage it for their good. And we tell our kids regularly, Lisa and I do. We say, kids, God forbid something should happen. Not trying to clutter your imagination, but if we were to go, if, if your mom and I were suddenly gone, tragically gone, we know that you would be sad and we would obviously be sad. You would be so okay. Because there are 25 aunties and uncles in this congregation who would take responsibility for you because you are a part of the new family of Jesus. People would be fighting over how do we take care of the kids and how do we do this? And no, I'm paying for their college. And no, you better, if something happens, you better pay for their college. That's all I'm saying. Brett, Matt, Brad, I can keep going. But sincerely, friends, on the planet Earth, tell me something more beautiful than the gift of the body of Christ 
where people come together and say, you know what, you're technically not on my spreadsheet, but I, I'll say yes to you. Like we're coming together and I'll lay down my life for you and I'll bleed for you and I'll show up at the hospital for you and I'll pray for your children and I'll, and I'll take care of your elderly grandparents. And I, we, the body of Christ, come together and when God gives us the gift of the, the, the stability in place, the world begins to get refamilied. Hearts that have been broken begin to receive the balm of the spirit and arms that you used to walk alone and now you're locking arms with people. And I think today it's important for us to, to think about a new monasticism. Some of you are thinking monks, uh, monasteries, I'm, I'm married or I don't wanna do that life or I'm not, uh, no thank you. No, just use your imagination. I think it's time for us to reclaim a new monasticism. There's a monastery on the outside of town that I go to a couple times a year with uh, five or six friends that I've known for a couple decades now. And we, we, we pray for the day, we catch up with each other. How, how are you, what do you need, what's going on at work, what's going on with your crew? And, and invariably, the Spirit of the Lord touches one or two people in just a dramatic way every single time we get together. And on this, uh, on this wall at the monastery, there's this, there's this uh, quote, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, we pray together, we work together, we relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. <laughs> and the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when, not if, and when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. Why? Because we're not going anywhere. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. There's a pastor that I know, I'll, I'll wrap up with this story, pastor that I know, uh, know of in California, and he got out of seminary, I think it was probably 40 years ago now, and after three years in seminary, he had debt, and he needed to get a job right away to start paying down his student debt, and he was looking for a real influential place. I want to go to a city that's making a difference. I want to be in a congregation with influencers, and we're going we're gonna to change the world and make a mark, and he ended up in Hemet, California, in the San Jacinto Valley, and this wasn't much of a place to be in this guy's mind. It was an old agricultural town, cattle town. The economy had moved on. It, it felt like one of those places when you talk about it that someone might say, oh, it's a God-forsaken place. And so it's the only job he could find, so he said, I'll give it two years. I gotta start paying my bills, whatever. But I'll wait for the Lord to get me into a really influential place in a better situation. But this is a stepping stone. I'll use this church. Think about the irony of this. I'll use this place as my way to sort of get my foot in the world and then, then God will take me to a really great place. Living away from the place that he's called to serve in his mind. And he said there was no influence. I, I, people were arguing in the church and I didn't seem to be able to know how to figure it out. And There weren't many people being saved. There weren't many people being baptized. It just felt like there is no wind of the spirit in this place. And 
the Lord said to him, hey, um, why don't you commit? Another year, I'll give it another year, and, but he didn't wanna be there and there's no people being baptized, no people being saved and there's dis- disunity and fighting. And Finally, one morning in prayer, the Lord said to him, go buy your burial plots. Hemet, California, San Jacinto Valley, the economy's moved on, agricultural, like, this doesn't really line up with my vision of how you were gonna use me to change the world. Don't you know what I can do, God? Go buy your burial plots. He waited a day. Came to the Lord the next morning in his study, and he was just, oh, Lord, I, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on the earth as it is. And Lord, I give you my life, if it means you'll take me somewhere else. And the Lord said to him, Go buy your burial plots. So he left his study and went and talked to his wife and he said, I, this is the craziest thing and, I, and I, don't, I don't even wanna say this to you, but I sense the Lord is saying that we should go buy our burial plots. She said, well, if that's what the Lord said. So they go down to the cemetery that day and they buy their burial plots and said, we'd like two of them. We, they're gonna put us in the earth here. And, and so they did and he said, in that week, the environment shifted. He said, people started walking in our church on Tuesday, like two people came into our, like small church, nobody walks into the church unless it's a Sunday and they've got a service and very few even did that. Tuesday, people walk in crying going, I I don't know why, but I just know I need to be here. Can someone pray for me? He said, they start praying for people. Six months later, these people are getting baptized after they've been saved. And he said, the disunity and the fighting in the church, it ceased. And it's like the wind of the spirit shifted to our back and was carrying us forward. And he said, it it was in direct relationship to our committing to this place and this theologian, Charles Kraft, anthropologist, linguist from Fuller Theological Seminary wrote this about these kinds of stories. He says, there's a direct relationship between the commitment of a pastor or any leader, or any person. And the authority he or she wields in the spirit world. Pastors who are committed to something other than their churches are vulnerable to enemy influence. Those serving the church, their primary commitment may really be to their own advancement or something else, such as money, prestige, or an easy life. We cannot expect the spirit world to take them seriously when they assert their authority over the church and the people that they purport to serve. We cannot expect the spirit world to take them seriously because they're not committed. In this story where he buys his burial plot and the story shifts, I think there's something there for us that it's easy for us to live elsewhere in our imagination and to assume that there's a better situation. I just really long for that and I wanna bounce around the globe and I wanna find, I wanna find that idea. What if, it's, what if the gift is right in front of us? And what if it just takes showing up? And one great spiritual sage that, that I've uh, read a lot of his work, he, when people would come to them and say, I don't like my church, you know, I've been there for you know, a year, he would say, okay, here's what I'll encourage you to do. Spend 10 years with them and then see. <laughs> and I think it's time for us If the Lord calls us elsewhere, if the Lord moves us, if you're in a military family, I get it. Life is complex. I'm not romanticizing place. But if we can, to pick this place and to go, you know what, Lord, 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And these people in my congregation, I'm gonna take responsibility for them. And the school that my kids go to, I'm gonna take responsibility for those teachers thriving. And my neighborhood, I'm gonna take responsibility for the kids on my street. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Jesus of Nazareth, help me to fall in love with my place. And friends, when we do this, I think we'll find true, deep, lasting riches and true, deep and lasting relationships. God wants to give us the gift of stability in place. And so let's receive it. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we need your help. We need you tonight to settle our hearts. We need you tonight to rebuke the lies that lead us to live rootless lives. And Lord, tonight I pray that all of us would experience the gift of stability that you have for us, the the blessing of stability. Lord, I pray that all of us would find ourselves made holy through the gift of stability. And Lord, I pray that we would be a part of refamilying the world as we commit to this place. And so Lord, here we are. Our lives are yours. And we say your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me tonight? You can get your communion elements ready. If you don't have communion elements, raise your hand and our team will come around and bring them to you. You can go ahead and open up the top there, get the wafer out, get the juice ready. Here's the sense that I had as I was praying this week, is that there would be people here who would come into the service just so hungry to be fed by God, so thirsty to receive a drink from him, that that life has been cruel, life has been difficult, you're emaciated in your soul, you're threadbare, you're weary, you're tired, you're worn, you're just plain hungry and thirsty, and you need Jesus to feed you tonight. Can we close our eyes and quiet our hearts? If you just know right away, man, that is me. I pray that God would feed you tonight and comfort you tonight. Pray that God would restore you tonight. Pray that God would begin the work of refamilying you tonight, of addressing your deep ache and your heart cry, that thing that you carry when you lay your head on the pillow at night and you're all alone in your own imagination, that that Jesus would step to that space tonight and break the bread and pass you the cup and feed you and give you drink. Jesus, would you feed us tonight? Would you address us tonight? Would you refresh us tonight? Would you renew us tonight? And make us a people where the world can be refamilied. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do it, do it for the remembrance of me. Friends, you may receive the bread from Jesus. On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood it's given for the remission of your sins and as often as you do this 
Do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, tonight your sins are forgiven. The old story has been washed away and there is newness for you. You may receive the cup from Jesus. Now let's lift our voices and let's sing to him. Let's worship the Lord.
Okay, so we're gonna sing this bridge one more time. And here's what I wanna do, and I'm doing this with all gentleness, okay? I'm not coercing or forcing. If you feel like you've been short on breath, if you feel like you've been hungry, if you feel like you've been weary, life has been cruel, the bottom has fallen out, tonight my, I just sense that as we go at it one more time, all the earth will shout, like sing it by faith. Sing it, it's gonna cost. It doesn't even make sense in the spreadsheet right now. It's not your experience right now, but you're singing it by faith. And, and as we do, I just sense that something's gonna break. <laughs> like something in your soul, like, like the, the thing that's been knotted up, like it's gonna loosen. So tonight, come Holy Spirit and heal your people and restore your people and bless your people and free your people and restore your people and provide for your people. Come on. All the earth, all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Pray. All the earth. Yeah, yeah. All the earth will shout your praise. Come on, church. Would you open your hands now as I pray benediction, blessing over you? Lord, do it for your people. Refamily the world. Give us the gift. Make us holy. Refamily the world in and through us. I pray bless my friends and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright, smiling countenance upon them. And for every space where there's chaos and fear and anxiety, Lord, I pray that you would grant them shalom, that the peace of God would be theirs in abundance. I pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. One more time, let's give God thanks for what he's done here. Few things, few things. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. Some of you would like more focused prayer. We would love to take time and bless you and speak life over you. So if that's you, you can come on down here as the prayer team comes. If you're new, come see us at uh, Guest Central in the back. And then I'll be out in the lobby at the book table out there. Anyway, you know the drill. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.